Okay. I'm going to try to preach the text tonight. I'm a little emotional. Uh, I'm pretty jazzed about Jesus Christ and uh, what I see Him doing in this text for His 11 men and what He's doing for us, what He always does for us. And uh, it's a beautiful text. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, I got caught unawares first time I read it, but then as I studied through it, I, it just the Lord began to open it up for me. And I was worshiping all week. Uh, this week, I think we received uh, one of the best compliments we've ever received in this church. Uh, a woman in the North Congregation said this, This church doesn't tell us what we should believe. They simply open the Bible and tell us what God says. Now, this was music to our ears. This is what we strive to be and do at the International Church of Milan. We don't try to tell you what to believe. We don't try to tell you what you should do. We don't try to tell you how, we, how you should live. We let God do that through His Word. Okay? So we are unapologetic in this church. We believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, and complete revelation of the living God. We are unapologetic about that. And so, quite simply, in light of the fact that we believe that, we simply believe we can open it up and hear from God. And that's what we do. We don't get into religion and denominationalism and the speculations of men and councils and creeds. We go to the Scriptures. And I'll be honest with you, life's too short. Life's too short for religion. <laughs> I need God. I want God. Uh, I don't have time for the speculations of men and for religion. So, what we try to do is just open up the Bible and hear what God, God says. We try, if you look at our website, it says we are humble and teachable people. We are humble, honest, teachable people. We're true seekers. We want to hear what God says. Now, we've often been critiqued for this. We've been critiqued about our, our view of the scripture. We've been critiqued about our word-centered worship. But I got to tell you as a pastor a long time ago, I decided I would rather please God than please men. So that's what, Lord willing, we will always try to do here. And I want to say to you, if you will join us in simply opening your Bible and beholding Jesus Christ, to behold Him is to what? Love Him. To behold Him is to fall hopelessly in love with this awesome God. We're not here to, to simply try to draw the biggest crowd. I, I'd love to have 10,000 people out here. I really would, but I'm not going to cut the edges off the gospel to make that happen. Okay? I'm going to preach His Word, and I'm going to trust the Spirit of God to bring His people. Okay? That's what we try to do here at the church. I mentioned that uh, that was one of the best compliments we'd ever received. Let me tell you the best one. Uh, young Asian woman who was here for a year or so. She's no longer with us. She's returned um, to Asia. But she said something I, I think I will never forget. And if I finally get around to writing my book, it will be in the book. Okay? Uh, she said, since I have been at this church, I have fallen In love with Jesus Christ all over again. Now, that's what we are, I hope. I hope that's what we are. That is our goal. To be here to help men and women 
fall in love with Jesus Christ. That's, that's our goal. That's our purpose, to simply open up the scriptures and see how spectacular he is and see how beautiful he is and see how desirable he is. And as I studied this text, I was, as I said, I was caught quite by surprise. It looks like a simple text. But I see our great God giving himself up for us. And uh, so let's, uh, let's look at it together. You may remember John 17 as we looked at that, that great text. Uh, most recently we saw, you remember how it started? Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. And we talked a lot about it. What hour is that? That's the hour that the sovereign, omnipotent, eternal creator God would allow his puny creatures to nail him to a tree because he loved his people and he came to redeem his people. And so, as we finish the Gospel of John, the last four chapters, we will watch this awful and beautiful story unfold as God gives himself up to be slaughtered, to be slaughtered for his people. You've got to love this text. You've got to love these last four chapters. John 18, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went forth from, with His disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden into which He Himself entered and His disciples. I just want to give you a, a historical footnote. I only found one source on this. I really don't know if it's true. It sounds like something that might be accurate. I just wanted to share it with you. This is the Jewish Passover. There are up to two million pilgrims in Jerusalem. They are slaughtering hundreds of thousands of lambs. And the flow of blood, it's my understanding, I've been, uh, this one source says the flow of blood was, was channeled out of the temple and it spilled into the Kidron brook. Okay? And I think it's... Uh, Apropos that the Lord crosses the Kidron. No doubt if this is true, this was on his mind because his blood would be spilt in just a few hours for his people. So the Mount of Olives, it was like a home for Jesus and his disciples. You remember back in John 7.53, there was that great debate and discourse. Uh, and you may remember this kind of obscure passage. It said, and everyone went to his home. But the next verse said, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And I'll never forget when we went through that, I was struck by the fact that everybody had a home to go to. The, the third cousin of the brother-in-law, the lowliest scribe in the temple, he had a home to go to. But our Lord God did not have a home. He did not have a home. He said, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. And He went to the Mount of Olives. Verse 2. Now, Judas also, who was betraying Him, knew the place. For Jesus had often met there with His disciples. Judas knew the place. So it begs the question, why does Jesus go there? Why does Jesus go there? Jesus knew that Judas knew the place. And Jesus knew that Judas knew that he would go there. So why does he go there? You know the answer, right? For you. 
That's why he goes there. He goes there because he knows they're going to come after him there. And so he goes there. And he goes there to get you and to get me. He's making it easy for Judas. He's making it easy for the religious leaders. He's making it easy for the Romans. He knows they're coming for him. He was born for this night. He was born for this hour. You remember what he said in John 12, 27? For this purpose I have come. For this purpose I have come. You may remember a couple of years ago, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion, and there was this uh, so-called controversy about the fact that it was anti-Semitic because uh, it, it portrayed the role that the Jewish leaders played in the death of Jesus Christ. But do you remember what the Bible says in Acts 4, 27, 28? Was it strictly the Jews? If we know our Bible, we know it wasn't. Acts uh, 4 says this, and this is a portion of a prayer that Peter and John and others are, are praising and praying to God. It says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against the holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. So who, who sent Jesus Christ to the cross? The Jews? Yes. The Gentiles? Yes. God? Yes. God. Preeminently God. Peter said it like this in his great sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, as he preached to the Jewish audience. He said, this man, he was talking about Jesus Christ, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a tree. Okay? He wasn't cutting any edges off the gospel that day, was he? Now what men did of their own free will and meant for evil, God, what? Meant for good. Do you understand? You understand how the sovereignty of God works in a situation like that? What the men meant for evil, God meant for good. So what's my point? My point is this. Jesus Christ did not get cornered. Jesus Christ did not get outmaneuvered. They didn't sneak up on Him. He wasn't caught unawares. He went to the garden to get arrested to save you and me. Okay? I want you to understand it. How many times in the Gospels did we see them try to get Jesus Christ? How many times? Anybody remember? Ten times they tried to arrest Jesus Christ. They couldn't. Why? Because His hour had not yet come. The sovereign God's hour had not yet come. Now why will they get Him on this eleventh time? Because He chose to come. He chose for it to be this time. He chose this day. In eternity past, He chose this day. This day. He would be in the garden. He would be waiting for Judas. He would be waiting for the Romans. He would be waiting for the chief priests because He came to redeem you and I. He came to redeem us. And they got Him on the 11th time because Jesus Christ ordained it to be so. And so we see His sovereignty here. And you remember what Jesus said in John 10? You remember what He said in that great passage about the shepherd? He said, I lay down my life. No man takes it from me. You remember? No man takes it from me. I lay it down of my own initiative. 
He has an appointment in the garden and He goes and keeps that appointment. And that appointment is for you and me. He knows Judas is going to come and He's going to make it easy for Judas to earn that 30 pieces of silver. He's going to the garden because through the garden He goes to the cross. Now Judas and the Jewish leaders and the Gentile leaders, they have come to kill, but Jesus has come there to save. They have come to kill, but Jesus has come to save. And Jesus employs His sovereignty here to save His people. To save His people. And I just, wanna, I just want to remind you that our God is God. Not just in name, but in fact. He's a sovereign God, and we're supposed to rejoice in that. And we're supposed to rest in that. We're supposed to find great strength in that. In fact, that is to be the fuel of our obedient faith because He's in charge. Our God is God. Our God is in control. Friends, I know you know this, but I'm going to say it. There's not one rogue molecule in the cosmos. Do you know this? There's not one rogue atom in the universe. God is in control. God is sovereign. And we're seeing it on these pages here Tonight, He's not some pathetic, frustrated, wannabe God. He is God. He is sovereign. How does the song go? So I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is what? On the sparrow. I know His eye is on me. God employs His sovereignty to protect His people. Verse 3. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, we don't really know how big this Roman cohort is. It could be 300 guys. It could be 600 guys. It could be 1,000 guys. And we also know that the chief, some chief priests are there and they would have brought the temple guards. We don't really know how many guys are there, but we could safely say 500 to 750 armed men have come to pick up one Galilean. Okay? It's quite a compliment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, one of the other Gospels says that it was a great multitude with swords and clubs. And I thought it was ironic as I read there in verse 3 that these men came with their lanterns and their torches to arrest the light of the world. Isn't that ironic? Verse 4, Jesus therefore knowing all the things that were coming upon Him went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? Now, John here acknowledges the omniscience of Jesus Christ. Friends, really, if you just pay attention to this text, this is, a, this is a lesson in the attributes of God. We've already seen His sovereignty, and now we're seeing His omniscience. He knows everything that's coming upon Him. Jesus Christ has perfect knowledge of all things, past, present, and future. And I just want to insert here as a sidebar, there's this heresy floating around that many of you, if you haven't heard of, you will hear of. Uh, sometime soon. It's called open theism. Have any of you heard of open theism? It basically says that God doesn't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. He's kind of an apprentice God. He's still trying to figure it all out. And oh, by the way, he's a really good guesser, but he really doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Lewis says, everyone who believes in a God at all believes that he knows what you and I are going to do tomorrow. Right? Exactly. God knows. Jesus knows exactly what's coming upon him. 
And knowing what's coming upon him, this magnifies, this magnifies his, uh, his courage in my view. Knowing what's coming upon him, he steps out to meet the arresting mob. He puts himself between, him, he puts himself between the mob and his 11 guys. Okay? There's a lot of beautiful symbolism here. He puts himself between the mob and the 11 guys and he says, Whom do you seek? The end of verse 4. Whom do you seek? And I think his omniscience magnifies his courage. He's not running. He's not hiding. He's not disguised. He steps out and he says, Whom do you seek? And he puts himself again between the mob and his men. Our God's a courageous God. You know the verse, Exodus 15, 3, the Lord is a warrior. Our God is a fearless warrior. You may remember the context. The people were praising God after He had delivered them through the Red Sea. They were trapped against the Red Sea and the warrior God saved His people. You may Another example... Um, that, that came to my mind. In fact, they're, they're at the, when, when they were trapped against the Red Sea, you remember what God said to them? He said, I will fight for you. I will fight for you. And another example I thought of was King Jehoshaphat. You may remember he was the king of Judah and he was hopelessly outnumbered. There was an invading army coming and he cried out to God. And this is what God said to him. Do not fear. The battle is not yours. It is mine. What a beautiful God we have. And he also said, you need not fight in this battle. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord in your behalf. What a beautiful, beautiful God. Our God is a courageous God. Our God is a warrior king. Verses 5 and 6. They answered him. They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also who was betraying him was standing with them. When therefore he said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Now I don't have to tell you, probably most of you already know this. You know what the little Greek translation here is when Jesus says, I am he, what is he really saying? I am. I am. And so what does I am? What do we know? What, I, what does I am mean? What does that mean to every Jew that just heard that? I am God. This is the God that spoke. He is the God that spoke from the burning bush to Moses. I am. I am Jehovah. I am Elohim. I am Yahweh. I am Adonai. I am El Shaddai. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am God. There's no mistaking what he meant. He said, I am God. And did you see? Did you see? What happened? They fell down when He said it. The power of His name and the power of His Word, it knocked Him all down like bowling pins. They fell back. Six, 500 to 750 guys all fell flat when He spoke His name. I love this text. I love this text. They were thunderstruck. Let me ask you, have you ever been thunderstruck? Anybody here? I've been thunderstruck. Literally. I was 18 years old. 
There were four of us playing golf inexplicably in a thunderstorm. Okay? I wasn't smart when I was 18. I'm not saying I was smart when I was 18. But we were on the 18th hole and we, we were putting out. And all of a sudden we felt this charge. We, it was like a crackle. And you could feel it. You could feel the electricity in there and there was like this crackle. The next thing I knew, bam, we were all on the ground. All four of us were on the ground. And then we heard this huge clap of thunder. And I'll tell you, as, as is evident by that story, we're not real sharp. We were not real sharp, but you know what? We were in awe of the power that we had just felt, and we got off the golf course as fast as we could. Okay? But these guys, these guys are knocked down the same way they are thunderstruck by the name and word of God. And they still think they're going to arrest him. They still think that they are going to arrest him. Jesus Christ, friends, is revealing to, to his 11 guys and to every intelligent being in the universe that this is not an arrest. This is a voluntary sacrifice. This is not an arrest in any sense of the word. He is giving himself over to these men. Jesus Christ holds all the power here. But he wanted his 11 guys to know who had the power. And he wants you to know who has the power. He went to the cross voluntarily. I lay down my life for my sheep. Okay? I lay down my life for my sheep. Verse 9. Well, verse 7 and 8. Again, again, therefore, he asked them, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Verse 8. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He. If therefore you seek Me, let these go their way. Why, why does Jesus ask Him that again? Does anybody have a, a suspicion about that? You know what He's doing? He's making the arresting mob say it from their own lips that they have no mandate to arrest the eleven. He's asked them twice. Who did you come for? They've come for Jesus. Jesus says, I am so he gets it from their own mouths that they have no mandate for the eleven. Jesus has stepped forward to protect his men. He is the good shepherd. Verse 9, that the word might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom thou hast given me, I have lost none. This is the ninth time in the Gospel of John that Jesus calls true believers a loved gift from the Father to the Son. I think that's all. I think nine times. I think, I think that's all that's in the Gospel of John, but I think that's enough. I think it's something that, that uh, God wants us to understand and believe and plug into our theology. We are loved gifts from the Father to the Son. And then He says that I will lose none. This is the fourth time, I believe, I don't think there are any others in the Gospel of John. When Jesus says, all that come to me, what? I got them. I hold them all. I hold them here. No one can get them out of my hand. Friends, here's our eternal security. We've talked about this at length. I'm not going to belabor it, but our eternal security is in the Godhead. It's in who God is, and it's in what God has done. Jesus Christ is protecting His men. And just as you see Him protecting His men on this page, He is protecting you spiritually. He is between you and the enemy. The enemy cannot have you. 
If you belong to Christ tonight, do you understand? The enemy cannot have you. He is between you and the enemy. He is protecting, just like you see him protecting his men here, he is protecting you spiritually right now. He is holding you up. He is holding you up. And I'm going to share a few scriptures with you and I'll be through. I love this concept of God being our strong tower. Proverbs 18.10 The name of the Lord is strong tower. The righteous run to it. And what? They are safe. They are safe. Listen to David in the Psalms. I've got several Psalms here. I'm just going to read through them. The Lord is a shield about me. My shield is the Lord. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer in whom I take refuge. In the day of trouble, He will conceal me in His tabernacle. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. You hide me. He's talking to God. He says, you hide me in the secret place of your presence. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. For Thou hast been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against my enemy. Let me take refuge in the shelter of Thy wings. And the psalm I read to begin uh, the service, I'm going to read again. Psalm 62, 5-8. My soul, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before Him. God is our refuge. I won't read the last three verses. You, you heard, uh, heard them read earlier. David read them. But you saw what Peter does. Peter, Peter improvises here. You know? And Peter's out of the will of God. But what does Jesus do? Do you see what Jesus immediately does? He protects him. Jesus protects Peter. Peter's done. He's cut, he's cut this, uh, this man's ear off. And the, the other Gospels tells, tell us that Jesus heals it. Jesus just fixes it. Right? Again, Jesus is protecting His men. So he uses his miraculous power to protect his men. And Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to do this for you. This is why I came. This is who I am. I came here to die for my people. And I just have to, I just have to mention it here in verse 12. Did you notice that the little men with their little swords and their little ropes, they arrest and they bound I am. This is no arrest. This is the Lamb of God giving Himself over. Freely, voluntarily, willingly, readily. And as Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, what else? Joyously. For the joy set before him, he went to the cross to redeem his people. Brothers and sisters, how can you not love a God like this? How can you not supremely 
love a God like this. This is why, you know, I don't have to be a real slick theologian. I don't have to be a real slick entertainer. Man, all i got to do is open up the Word of God and let's look at Jesus Christ. Right? Let's just fall in love with this beautiful, stunning, spectacular God who died for us. Let's just fall in love with Him. Right? Let's fall in love with Him. And then let's obey Him 100% for the balance of our days. Let's give our lives over to His Lordship. Let's be about His business. And I want to say to you, if you just simply open up the Bible and you come to it with an unbiased heart and you simply read, you cannot help but fall in love with Jesus Christ. That's who we want to be at this church. People of the Word. People in love with Jesus Christ. That's all we want to be. We don't want to be anything less than that or anything more than that. So if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with this warrior, savior, king, and you want to know more about that, come talk to me. I'll be glad to, to share with you about that, how you can be in relationship with, with this shepherd, this defender, this protector, this warrior. And Christian, all I want to say to you is worship. Your great warrior king is the Lamb of God. And He's come to redeem you from hell. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Who's a God like you? <laughs> Who would love his people like this? Oh, Father. Help us not to be flippant with these things. Help us not to be cavalier with these things. Help us not to be superficial with these unbelievably awesome truths. Father, help us think deeply and richly about the fact that you're our defender. You're our protector. You're our Savior. You're our God. Oh God, let us be profoundly impacted by these truths. Father, let us, let us go out of here. Let us go out of this place and live the glory that you have put in us. Let us live it, Father. Let us live it. Let the lost men and women, boys and girls around us, will see your glory. will see your beauty. will see your passion in us. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful text. Thank you for the opportunity to just simply bow and worship you, our great, our great Savior God. Thank you, Jesus. We pray.
pray this in His beautiful name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn. Closing chorus.